Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. Today, I'm here with Maya. Hello, guys. It's been probably more than a year. Well, we did that Zoom recording for mental health during COVID. Oh, true. Okay, so we have that one. So will you give listeners a little bit of an intro to you, a little bit about you? Of course. Your name, your age, your general location. (laughs) Like the TikTok rundown? Yes, exactly. Um, Your sign. Do you have a lover? Do I have a lover? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, for those of you who didn't listen to one of our previous episodes, in which case you should go do that right now. I'll link them in the description. Um, ASAP. I'm Maya. I've known Sadie since... What have I known you since? Fifth grade. I feel like we have this conversation every single time. Yeah, fifth grade. So too many years frankly excuse you and let's see my age i'm 17 mm-hmm. i will be 18 this year and uh, yep gonna be in college next year to your so, high school senior cheers to that yeah high school senior From second semester area. senior baby yeah bay area so so maya and i went to middle school together and then we did the first semester of freshman year together Mm-hmm. Then I went to treatment, baby. Super Woo-hoo! fun. And Maya and I kept in contact the whole time. I think you're like my only home friend. That yeah. I, like, can I just to. say the other day I was cleaning my room, like literally <laughs> yesterday, deep cleaning, like full on tearing apart my room. And I mm-hmm. found a folder and it was every letter you sent me Aww. from like 2018. And I like got really lost in reading. Them. We communicated by letters. And I remember so I could call you sometimes from McLean. Mm-hmm. But when I was at a therapy boarding school, we either did letters or we had a Google Doc. Yeah, we had I remember and that. And I kept getting in trouble because I would write too many messages to you on the Google Yeah, doc. you would put too much. You would put like a photo and in the corner there'd be like a head. And then they would be like, you can't. It wasn't even that. You were supposed to, you were only allowed to check a Google Doc one time per day. And I would go on it like Oh, you were fully on that thing like all the time. Yeah. I know. And they're like, Sadie, this is not acceptable. And I was like, sorry. Okay, so we are sitting down for the second installment of the College and Mental Health series. Last week, I technically it was yesterday that I recorded, or two days ago that I recorded this episode. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like very late to the game. I recorded it on Friday night and put it up like two hours Oh, yeah, later. I remember seeing that on your stories. Yeah. So this is the second installment of the College and Mental Health series. Last week's episode, I dove into... My essay, my personal statement, my stats, um, how I approached the college process and kind of how I talked about my mental health in the college application process. And this week, we're going to talk about what applying to college is like on your mental health, what that socially feels like, looks like, um, how to navigate that, tips and tricks for you to maintain your mental health during that process. And next week, I am sitting down with a college admissions counselor from your high school, and we're going to dive into how colleges view mental health and what you should and should not say so you're not seen as a liability and you can harness your mental health as like a strength. So we wrote down a list of what we wanted to talk about to make sure that we don't forget anything during this Mm -hmm. episode. And we wanted to start by kind of talking about the process of applying to college and how we approach that. So talked a lot about that for me last week. So I kind of wanted to hear your position, process, all of that. Yeah, I mean... That's like a really daunting question. Let's be real. Like mm-hmm. college is just such a scary process. And we forgot to say it, that we are coming to them from the garage. Oh, yeah. We're coming to you from the garage. Hello. Behind masks. <laughs> my foot's cramping up because I've been sitting on it's it. It's very uncomfortable oh, already. Oh, my God. It's cramping so hard right now. I mean, 
going into the college process, I was very much open-minded in the sense that I knew the whole thing was going to require me to like really distill like who I am as a person in a way that I like hadn't done before. And I think that was probably the scariest aspect of it. And also like the most exciting just cause it's like, you do get a chance to brag a little bit. And for me, at least it was really reflective to like write those essays and like really think about questions that I like hadn't thought about before. But at the same time, I mean, I also like, we are in the Bay area and it's like very competitive here. And you know, when you start applying for college, you're sort of like inundated with what you know from the people who go to your school and the people who live in your area. And for me, that was a lot of like, you know, everyone gets into an IV. Everyone does really well in the SAT. Everyone sort of checks all the boxes and like does a ton of extracurriculars and, mm -hmm. you know, writes phenomenal essays. And I think that was a really unrealistic expectation to have. I remember um, studying for the SATs and the ACTs as a junior. And I was kind of like, this is like, I'm early to the process. I'm yeah. like really getting ahead of the curve. And they were sophomores, specifically yeah. from your school. Yep. That were in the exact same test prep as me, taking the same test every weekend. And it's I was ridiculous. like, this is my turn. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so overwhelming. And I mean, if we're going to get into testing, let's get into testing. I mean, like, you know, scores in the Bay Area are insane. People do mm -hmm. so well. You know, 1600s are so commonplace. Same with 36s. And which I am not crazy. a good test taker. Me like, either. Let me, me tell you, either. I suck at testing. I, I talked that about test. last time how my starting score was a 1240 on the SAT. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it I was, was in like, a similar spot. And that's not a bad score. That's right. not a bad score. The ranges that we were looking at for the schools we were applying to, it wasn't within that range. Not and at all. When I was doing all this research, I was like, I literally need a miracle to raise my score 300 right. plus yeah. points. No, no one is saying this is possible. Yeah. Like, what the heck am I going to do? Yeah, I think I took that test three times, if we're yeah. going to be honest. I mean, like, I sat down, I took it, like, once. I waited a month, I took it again. I waited a couple months, I took it again. And I never got a score that I was happy with. And I think that doesn't even speak much to, like, my ability to take a test, but more so to, like, what I had set the expectation to be. And by the end, you know, I had a score that was, like, serviceable in the sense that I was, like, happily within the range that I needed to be. But personally, I wasn't satisfied because... Everyone around me was getting 1600s or 1570s or just mm -hmm. insane things. I just knew physically I could never get a test score like that. Like, Which is so unrealistic because when we think about the percentiles and we think about the national averages, like this national average and the percentiles do not favor 1600s and 36s. Like mm -hmm. someone has to weigh down the other end of that scale. And so right. when you're in the Bay Area where these scores are so highly concentrated and people are spending years prepping for these tests with private tutors and all these kinds of things, it just gets totally blown out of proportion. And your level of what is realistic or normal is totally skewed. It really messes with you. Like mm -hmm. it, it really starts to make you feel like you're completely unprepared and you're not going to get in anywhere. And this just this whole process is like against And the you. language around is terrible you see people getting 1580s they're like i did so terrible i can't believe i like blew that section mm -hmm. and i'm over here like i get above a i need 300 yeah. more points like how do you tell yourself that your score is okay and good and not representative of your worth when every single person around you is saying something else exactly you're inundated by questions from adults community members teachers parents where are you going to college what are your scores what's your list and then your peers, I would say, have a more toxic dialogue. Oh, 100%. Saying that they're not going to get in anywhere. And if someone is like, I'm not going to get in anywhere, and they have this crazy list of extracurriculars, people yeah. start freaking companies, they have yeah. 1600 on the SAT. Like, what does that say about me? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you hear all these people saying that they aren't good enough, like, how are you supposed to kind of reconcile that for yourself? 
and sort of realize that your own self-worth is, is actually not to be compared with someone else's, which was the hardest thing for me to understand. Mm-hmm. And frankly, like we are still, I mean, I am still in the college process. I'm still mm-hmm. waiting for decisions. I don't know where I'm going. And that's still something I sort of grapple with is like, how do I, you know, look at all my peers and some of them know where they're going. Some of them don't. A lot of us applied to the same schools. Yeah. And knowing that we're going to have those decisions in a matter of weeks and sort of have to mentally like find peace and and be able to know that that's just that's just what it is and it's meant to happen that way I mean that's Mm -hmm. really really impossible for me to believe right now yeah so when you did the college process when you started this journey Mm -hmm. did you start with test prep did you start with writing your essays what was your first point that you kind of started digging into yeah so I mean like you said people in the bay area start testing so early probably Mm -hmm. way too early and that's what I started with like sophomore year honestly I was like thinking about it and then junior year I started taking it and I yeah I dedicated I would go to a class I like studied on my own I took so many practice tests I think I've taken every single practice test that is on the internet literally since like 2008 and those tests Mm -hmm. are like not accurate anymore but I did that and then you know at some point I had to let go of the fact that I am not someone who does well on tests and no matter how many times I take it my score just isn't going to reach a certain point And so then I sort of focused on my essays and that was also like several months, very draining at times. But how did you plan that out? Were you like, I'm going to do one per week? Were you like, I'm going to dedicate three months to just my Mm. personal statement? I started my personal statement over the summer, which I actually highly recommend. I just think it's good to have the time to think about Mm -hmm. it. I don't know. I think I I I, planned to do that. Did not. (laughs) Well, you know, it worked out for Sadie. So (laughs) can't say that it's necessarily, you know, you don't have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. But it worked for me. And I think it was helpful just because I like needed a lot of time to think about the things I was going to write about. I didn't really have a story that was like there for me when I sat down. So I had to really, really, you know, dig deep and like figure out what I was going to write about. And then from there, I would just spend like, you know, I try and get the bigger essays done. A lot of colleges ask the same questions. So you're writing a lot of the same essays, but sort of in different formats or with different word counts. So a lot of it was like restructuring essays that I wrote to like fit a new prompt. And then I had to write a million essays for the why this school Mm -hmm. is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So you had these timelines. How did you hold yourself accountable to that and not become overwhelmed with that stress? Yeah, good question. I mean, honestly, you just got to have someone else do it for you. I had like my school college counselor and I really took advantage of having him there to like keep me on track and be like, I'm going to send you an essay by this Friday. And then it's like, yep, I have to send something by Friday. So that worked well for me. I think like it was also sort of in a in a possibly a toxic way, like the stress kind of kept me going of just like, you know, this thing is approaching. It's a big part of my life. I like need to finish it. And like when I thought about the enormity of like what that is, that sort of kept me motivated to mm-hmm. write those essays. But I think a lot of it is you have to you have to be willing to like like know that it's going to be painful. Like the process was like sometimes so stressful for me and like mm-hmm. not enjoyable. Like the last thing I wanted to do was sit down and write essays. But at the same time, there's also times when you sit down and you get into the flow and you write something and you love it mm-hmm. and you feel like it is a reflection of who you are and that's really rewarding. I remember really, really struggling to start with my essays. I think I was on the phone with you at some point and I was like, I just can't put any words there. I hate mm-hmm. everything. I knew what I wanted to talk about, which was the podcast and my mental health, but putting that on paper in a way that a college would be like, this is great. Like, I had no idea how to do that. I was like, do I start with an anecdote of me recording? I do remember... I like- 
I remember we like sat down on that Google Doc and you would like rewrite the first line like over and over, like over and over. I just couldn't get anything out. And I think that that was the hardest part for me for sure was starting and getting something Mm -hmm. out there because I just kept having this mental barrier of I would write something and I was like, this isn't good enough. This isn't going to get me into school. Like why, why even keep this on the page if it's not good enough? Right. Right. And you kind of just have to get past that and be like, okay, if I have a full essay, then I can workshop and rewrite things. But if mm-hmm. you don't even have a first sentence, you don't you have, have nothing. anything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How did you evaluate how many schools was too many to apply to for your own mental health? And it would just add too much stress versus I'm pushing myself enough. This is necessary mm-hmm. for the college process. How did you navigate that? Good question. The first thing I did is I said, realistically, how many schools do I need to know that I'm going to get in somewhere? And how do I pick schools that like give me a range of from, you know, this is a school that I'm pretty certain I have the ability to get into to like, this is a school. It is my dream, but I'm probably not going to get in. And for me, it was kind of like, it was a quality over quantity thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people I know applied to a ton of safety schools, you know, schools with acceptance rates that they felt they could sort of fit into. Mm -hmm. For me, I was kind of like, I just need two. I mean, if I, if I have one, I like, then as long as I can get in there, like I had two. why do I need more? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually a pretty important boundary to set for yourself is like, don't overdo it. I mean, there's no reason to apply to five schools. If one of those schools, you know, you're going to get into, you love and you would go to, then what's the point? It's just a waste of energy. I mean, you can kind of hear that voice in your back of your head, like, okay, what if I don't get in? But if you really logistically think about it, and you feel really good about the test score range, the grade range, mm-hmm. and you feel like you can get into that school. You're also applying to a lot of target and reach schools. And right. Statistically, when you think about the probability of it, you're mostly going to get into at least one or two of those right. other harder schools. Right. So the purpose of the safety school isn't to like have 16 different options. Yeah. It's great if you have options for your target and reach schools, but your safety schools, if that's not as important, if you have one that you really love. Exactly. And I think that's like really important to keep in your head because having a, too many schools to apply to will easily just eat up your time and yeah. overwhelm you. And it's so not worth it. Even I mean, just the logistical parts of figuring out what supplementals do I need to write? Yeah. What schools mm-hmm. want my test scores? Which ones need AP tests? Like all of this kind of stuff. It's, it's overwhelming. Just, it is. It and really, really is. It's it's weird too because the college process, like no one really prepares you for it. You just kind of walk into it and you're like, great, I have this common app website. Let me figure out how to navigate it. Let me figure out what schools like have these things mm-hmm. and what schools have these requirements and need my GPA and need my specific classes because not all of them do. Yeah. It's, it's stressful. And I don't know how actually visiting and seeing schools would have gone into this. I don't know how many schools you got the opportunity to visit, but I visited maybe two schools that ended up staying on my list actually three because we did a road trip but the rest like I have never been to the University of Pennsylvania (laughs) I've never been to Philadelphia and it was just looking online and so I kind of feel like the idea of having to go to all those schools and somehow differentiate in your mind like I like this school more than this one right like that just feels like it would add so much stress and it's also very anxiety provoking to like know you're deciding your life by applying to these schools without ever having been there never stepped on i've never been to the city even exactly exactly for some of these yeah this week's episode is sponsored by teen counseling i cannot tell you guys how many dms texts emails i get from teens parents even friends asking how can i find a therapist how can i enroll in therapy how can i find a therapist for my teen how do i tell my parents i want to go to therapy That's why I'm partnering with Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, and it's all targeted at teens. They offer text, talk, and video counseling, so no matter what level of support you're looking for, they got you. 
You're going to go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You'll fill out a quick survey about what your goals are for therapy, whether that's improving your mental health during the pandemic, working on your relationship with your parents, improving self-esteem, whatever it is, they'll match you with therapists that fit your needs. You'll enter your information and your parents' information. Your parents will get a super discreet email saying your child is interested in working with a licensed therapist at teencounseling.com. They head to the website, learn a little bit more about the program, and a preview to work with a therapist. And from there, you can meet with that therapist on a frequency that works for you. This is a great way to dip your toe into the therapy world and get support when you need it without having to go into an office, meet with a therapist, meet with a stranger, and go through all of that for the first time. So you can go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. Again, that's teencounseling.com slash she persisted to get started today. So now diving into more of the social side of the college application process, how do you navigate this with peers, friends? And in some ways, you're competing against kids all around the country. And the more I've begun to understand this process, that's not the case. You're truly competing against the kids in your bucket. Your neighbors, yeah. Which means the girls, for us, the girls from the Bay Area with similar extracurriculars, majors, test scores, and GPAs, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. And so let's dive into that. What? Like, ah! Yeah, I mean, this has been like a thought that I've had in like my peripheral for like several years now because I have friends who do similar things to me. I have friends who, you know, probably have similar test scores and if anything, better test scores. And I always like knew that when it came to the application process, there was going to be a sort of feeling of like, well, we do the same extracurriculars. We, like, are interested in the same thing. You're in the same clubs. We're going to be applying classes. to the same schools. Same recommend- recommenders same in recommenders. situations. Yeah, truly. So I think it's just you have to remember, like, there are two parts to this. The first part is it's random. Like, you you getting into a school is based on so many factors that are independent of your application mm-hmm. that have to do, you know, with the reader and the, mm-hmm. the day of the week. And, you Did know. Did they have their coffee this morning? Literally, like. There was that you a, can't control. So Harvard recently kind of extended their date that they're going to release their mm-hmm. applications because they were overwhelmed by applications this year. That in itself, you're like, oh my God, what? But on top of that, when you looked at how many applications they got, this year they got 57,000 applications. Which is insane. Insane. Insanity. When you break that down, as far as a normal work week, how many apl- admissions counselors they have, they're spending about 15 minutes deciding your entire future. Right. So... As, as terrible as it is to wrap your mind around the thought that someone's deciding your future randomly within 10 to 15 minutes, it kind of does offer some comfort as well. Yeah. And that there are so many factors there that are out of your control. It's really dependent on the other person. It's dependent on their mood. It's depending on, on what other applications they've read, how much of a time crunch they're in. And I also want to say, like, the more I think about that statistic, the less I think it's 10 to 15 minutes because of 57,000 applications. What percent can you just eliminate based on test scores alone? Right. What percent can you eliminate based on criminal history or records? Not like criminal, but like have you been suspended? Mm-hmm. Were you expelled? Et cetera, et cetera. Which students are legacies? Because you can't cut those out immediately. Right. They actually right. have to look through those just for like the reputation of their yeah. graduates. So I don't think it's exactly 10 to 15 minutes, but they're on a time crunch and your application is being decided based on so many other factors. Right. So that's that's the one thing, right? Which is like, this is actually not about you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that you are not, as much as it feels like you are, you're not actually putting your entire being and handing that to your application 
reader because they can like only it. know it feels like it and that's yeah. why it's painful like that's why it's like I just told you something I don't want my parents to read like mm-hmm. I literally am telling you things that I'm See, not gonna I tell my the total opposite and that my like parents read my they oh yeah Sadie's some, were in yeah. on her application it's true my it's parents true. were not allowed to read a single thing I wrote I <laughs> will not let them read it to the day I die but to, yeah to tell that to a stranger or even something that's like you know you know, like Sadie's thing is still very personal mm. and to feel like that is who you are. And this, I work so hard. Like I thought so deeply about these questions and really reflected on myself. And this feels like a culmination of who I am. Yeah. You're putting your best of your grades, the best version of your score, the best classes you've taken, right. the best parts of you, whether that's your extracurriculars, recommendations from the people that see you in the best light. And if that gets rejected, my head, my thoughts were like, well, what does that say about the rest of right. me? They only saw the best parts of me and they course don't know me as a person we're not shaking hands they're not meeting me but if they're only seeing these highlight pieces and that's not good enough right what about me as a whole person right and that's also you know it's like a catch-22 because yeah it's like what would they think about me as a whole person but at the same time they also don't know all of me and so Mm -hmm. there are good things to me too that they're not gonna see Mm -hmm. like you said they're never gonna shake my hand they're not gonna get to have a conversation with me they haven't known me for years and years and so you kind of have to detach yourself and just say this is a painful thing to know I'm going to lay this all out on mm-hmm. the line and maybe get rejected. And, you know, that's my dream school. But it's not a reflection of you. And it's not a reflection of, you know, your self-worth that you have to determine for yourself. And so I think that's the thing you have to remind yourself of, like, constantly. Yeah. So let's talk about the different ways that people approach the college process. We are, are your peers and your community are your competition. We kind of highlighted that. I have kind of seen a spectrum. I would say I was completely on one end, where if you asked me where I applied early decision, I would tell you. I was transparent about it. I brought people along on social media. Mm-hmm. I talked about the stress when I was taking the test. I just did a whole episode last week talking about every single detail of my application. The other end of the spectrum, which I would say many people in the Bay Area fall into, yep. you will never know what schools they applied to, never. what was their score, what their major is. Right. Like It is locked down yeah. under a box and key like, in a freaking yeah. safe keys been thrown out the window Their like no one's friends, ever accessing that yeah no one knows yeah. and so like what it, mentally what is that like when you have to have the spectrum of people that you're interacting with? it's weird it's so weird and especially i mean personally it makes me want to know more I'm i know like, it makes me, me more curious i mean me I'm, a, I'm a gossip lover i'm not gonna lie <laughs> so if you give me a juicy detail i'm gonna i'm gonna try and get more mm-hmm. so i mean there's definitely like a natural curiosity we all have everyone wants to know we're all we're all the same grade we've known each other for years a lot of us and we're all applying to the same school so of course everyone's dying to know where other people are applying i think like sadie said like i was also very much very open i was never like actively trying to hide it although i do think some people probably don't know just Mm because we don't talk much or whatever which is totally Um, okay but I would say like there is a healthy balance. Like we don't all need to be oversharing our stats if people aren't comfortable with that. I think that's fair. Especially um, if you're doing it in a self-deprecating light. Oh, and so, then yeah, mm-hmm. take that toxic energy and yeah. leave it behind, please. And so like when I approached that, I was like, people were like, oh, where did you apply? I was like, okay, I submitted my applications to like University of Oregon, UNC. My early decision was University of Pennsylvania. I really don't think it's going to pan out, but I like really, really hope so. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Could be good news, could be bad news. Who knows? But I wasn't going around and being like, oh like I like there's just so many don'ts and mm-hmm. I think you can kind of be the judge of that yourself but when you're talking about this kind of being like if I was someone that was already insecure about my application right. if someone said this to me how would I feel right and that's kind of, that's the only way to go about yeah, it yeah. yeah 
So socially, you kind of are walking that whole line of people are either keeping things under lock and key or they're super transparent. There's a whole spectrum. What about when people actually find out? We had the early decision applicant pool find out. We had people get deferred, rejected, accepted. And we are nearing, probably a week after this episode comes out, people finding out from a lot of schools. Yeah. You know, it's something you can't prepare yourself for fully. I think like the the emotions that will arise you just have to know that they're valid and that those are going to happen you're not going to know how to deal with it 100 and that's okay like you kind of have to relinquish some of that mm-hmm. control okay so let's kind of approach this from each situation mm. as far as say you get accepted rejected or deferred how do you approach that mm. and say your friend got accepted rejected or deferred how do you approach supporting them yeah so you get accepted what are the don'ts of kind of sharing that with people yeah i think I mean, the first thing is good for you. You you are incredible and I'm I think that's really impressive and it's you should celebrate that. So like say I find out. I remember the day after I found out, I followed this kid from our middle school on mm. Twitter. And he tweeted and he was like, If you're sharing your early decision reaction video the day you found out, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, if we're keeping it real, yeah. I think yeah. that's I think that's a, a fair statement. I think Yes, celebrate it. You did it. Like, congratulations. Mm-hmm. And you should be proud of yourself. And wait a couple days. Like, mm-hmm. it's people are getting decisions that sting right now that yeah. really hurt. And people are feeling like, you know, their life is their life is they know it's going to end right now because this is not what they wanted. Yeah. I think, like, it's very safe to share with your close friends. I think, mm-hmm. like, if they are truly your friends, they will be supportive of you no matter what their decision was. But I think it's, it's yeah, it's just the right human thing to do to just wait before you sort of advertise that to the world which that time will come and you'll get to do that um I mean I would say especially if you don't know exactly where you're going to go to school yet and so like say your reach like one person's target reach amazing school is what's like a I don't know Harvard it's Harvard this doesn't make sense and another person's safety school is Harvard Mm. If the safety school person school is Harvard and sharing it on social media, but it's using it with the narrative of, I don't really want to go there. Right. That's and dangerous. And this other person, it's their dream school. So invalidating. Maybe they got deferred. The other person got accepted. Like, that's terrible. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So. And let me tell you, that's not like a made up scenario. That happens all the time. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you don't want to be the person doing that. Um, so kind of maybe. So. Being 100% confident and certain and sure when you're sharing this decision with people Mm -hmm. that you're committing to going to the school because when you're doing it in other lights, it can be super invalidating to other people's experiences. Yeah, and I think no matter the school, like never talk down about a school or say that you like, you know, it's okay if you don't want to go there, but don't mm-hmm. make it seem like it's, you know, not a good school for it that reason. It might be someone else's dream um, school. Yeah, and it's just, it's, yeah, it's a really sort of lame kind of way to make that judgment call. So supporting someone that has got in, congratulations, etc. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you're not obligated to post one of those Instagram stories with all the colors and yeah. the dots in this world. <laughs> like, you don't feel like you need to do that. You don't have to. It gets aggressive at some point too. Yeah, so. a nice text or a nice word is being like, congratulations, like, is yeah. sufficient. Yeah. There is no, ri- like, maybe it feels like you have to do some kind of post. You don't have to. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Sakara. You guys know how much I'm stressing the importance of good sleep, good nutrition, getting outside, staying active, because when we don't take care of our physical health, our mental health truly suffers as well. I know that my emotional vulnerability is off the charts when I'm not taking care of my physical health. I can't be productive. My relationships struggle and everything just becomes a mess. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. 
Their organic ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and they're designed to boost your energy, improve digestion, and get your skin glowing. Their meals are delivered all around the U.S., ready to eat, at your door, and you are good to go. They also have some amazing wellness essentials, like one of my favorites, their sleep tea, which you know I love a good cup of tea before bed to keep my sleep hygiene in check. They also have things like beauty chocolates, like chocolate that you eat to help your skin, like literally mind blown. So many different supplements, teas, powders, granola, all of that kind of stuff. To get your hands on their amazing products, you can go to Saqqara.com and use code XOSADY at checkout for 20% off. Again, that's Saqqara.com. Use code XOSADY at checkout for 20% off your first order. So going from the perspective that you got rejected or deferred, Mm -hmm. how do you mentally cope with that, navigate that yourself? Yeah. So... I don't think I've said this yet, but I applied to Columbia as my early decision school. So like if I go here, I'm going Mm -hmm. or sorry, if I get in here, I'm going. And I was deferred in the first sort of early round, which means that I'm sitting here waiting, not knowing. And it was a weird feeling because you wait like months and then you're like, I'm going to get a yes or a no. And then you don't get a yes or a no. And it's sort of the only analogy I can think of is it's like you're saying this school is my significant other and I want to marry them. Like I mm-hmm. want to be with them for four They're your whole soulmate. years. Yeah. They're my soulmate. I have, I know them through and through. Mm-hmm. I am dedicated. Like this is like marriage to me. Yeah. Okay. Like I get down on one knee and I'm like, will you marry me? Yeah. And they're like, mm, maybe. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Give me a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, kind of feels like it's crushing your soul. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Like, mm-hmm. like, do you want me or not? Like, it's a yes or a no, right? Yeah. But I think for deferral, the thing you have to remember is it's not a no. It's not a yes, but it's not a no, right? Like, they're not rejecting you. If they didn't want you, they would have just rejected you. So mm-hmm. so there's, you know, there's, you hold out that hope and you kind of just have to know that, like, this process happens for a reason. And that sucks to say out loud because even I don't really believe it right now. But when this all ends, I know that's just what's going to be true. Yeah. Um, and, another, and I think another narrative to keep in mind is, like, especially this year with the mass increases in applications to all of these schools, they logistically don't have enough time to turn around all. all these applications. Mm-hmm. So if you got deferred or I guess waitlisted doesn't count, but we also have to talk about that. Yeah. If you get deferred, kind of keeping it in your head and be like, okay, maybe they saw my application. They liked my scores. They liked GP- my GPA. They but didn't they have time it. Yeah. to really dive through my essays, dissect it. And that's good that they're taking the time because they like what they see so far and they just haven't had the chance to make the decision yet. Yeah, and that's better than them rejecting me and then not even getting the chance to read it. And I will say on that note, I was in this situation where I applied to a school, not Columbia, a different school, early as well. And all my friends were getting their decisions the same day I was. And I was like, I think to this day, I'm like still the only person who was deferred from that school and everyone else I knew was accepted. So I was literally hearing about like, you know, the minute those came out, I knew of like six or seven people who'd been accepted. And there's definitely more too for Mm -hmm. my school. That's just the people I know of. And to feel deferred, like feels like kind of a punch in the gut. Like, you know, we are going to the same school. We like probably have okay, some but things imagine, in common. Imagine if you were going to this one school with 20 of your high school okay, peers. Okay, fair. I don't necessarily want that situation. <laughs> but I think what I want to point out is but like what Sadie said, like, yeah. you know, maybe they just didn't read your application. And it's mm-hmm. for a long time, I was convinced it was a me problem. I was like, I wish I wrote a different essay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just regretting what I did. And that was so... So just, you know, it was a silly waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, you know, logically I knew that wasn't true is my emotional side just sort of latching on to some excuse. But you have to remind yourself that like it's, again, it's not you. And, you know, with deferral, deferral is not rejection. And 
I, you know, I was still able to celebrate for my friends, but I know that feeling for any of you guys who have gone through that of like, kind of like deep down inside, you're a little bit like, yeah, I'm really happy for you. Genuinely so happy for you. And a little bit sad for myself all the time. Yeah. I think your head kind of also goes through the process of, you know, your peers completely. You yeah. see the, their flaws. You see, maybe they didn't do that well on that test that you did better on. You know them as a person. And these colleges aren't seeing them as a person. Mm-hmm. So when you're kind of viewing the situation, super easy to get into that headspace of, well, I'm better at them at this, this, and this. And right. like, why would I get rejected right. if I have, if I don't have these flaws that they do? But the college isn't seeing those flaws. They're just seeing these highlights. And maybe they didn't have time to work through your essays. Maybe they had similar GPAs of your you to someone else since they wanted to wait mm-hmm. and kind of see what other applications they got, all that kind of thing. But it's really hard when you know so much more about that person than the college does. Yeah, and I think like, also just to feel like you're the only one who Mm -hmm. got deferred or got rejected or whatever the situation is you just feel sort of alone and like no one else can feel what I'm feeling right now and to that I would just say yeah you're the only one who can feel that and you know make sure to like talk about it with your friends if you need to like if you feel like you need to set a boundary or like hey like I'm really happy for you, but like, I'm not really ready to like talk about this yet. Yeah. Like that's fair. I and will boundaries also again are for yourself. It's not for other people to kind of keep them out or like right. dim their excitement. It's right. for your own emotional safety and it shouldn't, it shouldn't communicate to them that you're not happy for them or anything like that. You're just kind of saying, Hey, for me right now, I'm so happy for you. And right. I just like can't dive into this. right. And now. I think that honesty is like so much more important than like trying to be happy for someone else when yeah. you just can't you aren't emotionally in a place where you can do that properly. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Rejection. It's the, it's not you, it's me situation, yes. right? Yes. I mean, this one's hard. Let me disclaimer. Wait, but if it's a college, wouldn't it be like, it's not me, it's you? Because oh. they're rejecting your own. Well, yeah, true, true, true. So you got to <laughs> put that on his head, yeah. Big disclaimer, neither Sadie and I were, neither Sadie nor I were rejected. So like, we can't speak to mm-hmm. what that actually feels I'm sure like. it would have been rejected. Oh, I'm ready to be rejected. Schools. Hun, I will be rejected in just a couple weeks. You just wait. <laughs> so I will be feeling whatever that emotion is very soon. We'll, but, do, a, we'll do another check-in. Somehow. Yeah, exactly. We'll do like a little, a little update. But I think, you know, I think a lot of the same things are true. I think you have to remember it's not about you. Like it's so, so, so not about you. And we just can't say that enough, but it's like, it has nothing to do with you as a person. Like, yes. Well, I take that back. It has a little bit to do with like what you look like on paper and like what that school thought in that moment. But don't think of this as the end of something. Think mm-hmm. of this as like an opportunity for you to to keep. And let's kind of look like you know, dive into what that looks like on paper. So the best way I've heard someone explain it is with buckets. Mm. You're put into a bucket based on your GPA, your test scores, your gender, where you're from, what your high school you attended, yep. extracurriculars, what you wrote your personal statement on, your mm-hmm. hopeful major, all of that kind of stuff. Say you're in the exact same bucket, you have the same GPA, same test score, same hopeful major, wrote about similar, maybe a sport for your Mm -hmm. personal statement, similar, why this school, and you're down between you and this other person, and the other person is an alumni's child. Right. The other person's parent made a donation. Game over. All of these factors that are completely out of your control and aren't saying you're a worse applicant, aren't saying that you're inferior in any way to this other person. It's just all of this system's rigged. Right. There are so many things here that influence acceptances that don't have to do with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's nothing else to say there. I think that's Mm -hmm. just full stop. That's what it is. And, you know, you got this and you're, you're not gonna, 
don't think of this as like, you know, it's not a rejection of you as a person, Mm -hmm. right? And you are going to get in somewhere else. You are going to go have a good next four years Mm -hmm. of your life. Like this also doesn't mean that like, you know, I don't think you should take this as like, oh, I was rejected from my dream school. Like whatever I'm going to, wherever I'm going to end up is going to be less fun or less Mm -hmm. good because every experience is independent of another. Totally. So I want to walk through the night you get your reaction, if night you get yeah. your reaction, the night you get your decision, if you get rejected, because this is coming out a couple of weeks before many college decisions come out. And mm-hmm. I want to kind of walk you through, I want to make it easy for you. What text do you send? How do you let people know? Yep. How do you then unplug? How are we going to self-care so that mm-hmm. you don't end up in a depressive slump? Whoop. Let's do it. Okay. So first off, what text do you send? What's a nice way to say it didn't work out with kind of being like, it was terrible. Like, yeah, yeah. How can I'm you... like falling apart, but let's yeah, pretend that I'm not. dying. Um, Especially if maybe you're talking to other people that, again, got accepted, waitlisted, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So what is a nice, succinct, gets to the point text where you can create that boundary for yourself? Do you mean like texting other people? Yeah, to let them know. Because I know that one of my experiences, even for schools like again you talked about how other people found out one example of that for my high school was university of oregon Mm. people found out like a week after they put in their application yeah i didn't find out until months later like actually the same day i heard from university of pennsylvania yeah and so one question people were constantly did you get your decision what happened right was it good or bad you know what i mean you're getting calls you're getting texts because especially this next two weeks people know the decisions are coming out people are waiting Mm -hmm. they want to know they're curious they're gossips they want the juicy info what can you say to kind of set that boundary for yourself? I had one friend text me and I feel like he did a really great job. I texted him and I was like, hey, how did it go? And he just said, it's not meant to be. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. It was succinct. It was to the point. You got the information across. <laughs> yep. And you were setting that boundary. Yeah. You didn't want to continue the conversation and that's okay. I think that's the biggest thing is when you send that text or you, you know, pick up that FaceTime call, just be prepared to know what that boundary is mm-hmm. and to be to be able to say, you know what? I'm just not ready to talk about it. Yeah. Or or do, if you want to, kind of ask or yourself. Or like, I need your that. support mm-hmm. right now, right? Like, it can be anywhere on that mm-hmm. spectrum. And I think and it's just a matter of. And who is that person for you? Think about that before. Yeah. I know, like, if Maya called and was like, how did it go? And I was like, it's terrible. Right. I'd be like, she needs to That's stay like on the a conversation. Right I'd be like, I'm driving over. I'm coming. Uh-huh. But if but, my grandma was texting me and was like, Sadie, I knew you would do so well. Yeah, and I just got it's... rejected. I would be like, oh, God. Like, can't get into the phone right now to talk about this. So I think an option if you are looking to set a boundary is it's not meant to be. Mm-hmm. Great, succinct, to the point, gets the information across, conversation's over. And I think if you're looking for support from someone being like, it didn't go well, can I call you? Yes, or, I think that... oh my God, terrible, can I call you right yeah, now? Yeah, just that call me, just yeah. FaceTime me. Yes, um, totally. I feel like I kind of did not oh when I told you because I didn't tell you what the answer was when you asked me and I was like call me yeah 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 because I wanted to tell you over the phone I know I remember that yeah I think and I think just to flip it for a second like from the friend perspective Mm -hmm. I think just like keep the same thing in mind like if someone is not ready to talk about it like as much as you may want to know the details this is not the time and it's just you know let's do what's best for them and then you'll find that conversation Mm -hmm. will come later so three options as far as text to send Next point, do you want support from someone? If yes, lean on that person you texted and mm-hmm. was like, call me now. If not, what are some ways that you can kind of practice self-care and care for your own mental health after this rejection, which can come with a lot of really uncomfortable emotions? Yeah, I would say the number one thing is like, know the day you're going to get those decisions, mm-hmm. prepare in advance, right? Like maybe get your homework done and you won't have anything that night or, you know, sort of make sure you have time. I had a work call that night. Oh God, Sadie, like, of course so- you did. <laughs> 
get rid of those things that might be on your schedule. You want this night free and open so you can process whatever emotions come exactly. up. So have the space open, like, you know, maybe prepare like, oh yeah, like in your head, like, yep, this is something I can watch on Netflix afterwards. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. like, I'm ready to take a bath. I like, here are things that I can do and we can give you a whole pick list of those. Pick out your face mask. Pick yeah, out your bubble exactly. bath you're going to it's, it's a What's fun moment. What's your TV show? Mm-hmm. What are your books? All of these things that make you feel good, help lift your mood and distract. Yep. Distract, distract, distract. Distract, distract, distract. And, you know, just be, I mean, like there's no way to mentally prepare yourself. So I think like prepare yourself by like having that situation ready to go and just like, you know, be ready to just be like, okay, I'm not going to do anything this evening. Mm -hmm. It's okay if I'm not productive and don't get things done. I need this time to just like relax and forget about everything else. So that is your plan for the night that you get your decision. If it doesn't go the way you wanted it to, you're going to set those boundaries. You're going to get support if you need it and you're going to self-care, self-care until you can go to bed, until you can get that rest Mm -hmm. and kind of get your body back to a state of minimal emotional vulnerability. If you're a friend of someone who just got rejected, people aren't getting deferred again this year, but next year if they get deferred, waitlisted, all of these different options, how can you support them? Yeah, I mean, I think we've both been in this situation because we both had lots of friends getting accepted, deferred, rejected. You know, first things first, if they don't text you, I mean, maybe it's not the time to ask. Mm-hmm. I think if they don't text you, then just know that they might just be needing a little bit of time and respect that. I think, that. though, that if they are a close friend that you talk to Oh, regularly, okay, yes. Wait, let's be fair. Yes. If it's if it was Sadie for me, mm-hmm. I would be like, what is happening? Are you okay? Yes, yes. Um, I think but it's... But if it's someone that you talk to in your computer science class with right. you, don't text Don't bother. Them. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just as nosy and it's yeah. too much. If it's your friends. Okay. If it's your close friends, I think, yes. I think if anything, you should err on the side of, let me make sure you're okay rather than, oh, let me just leave it be. Yeah. Um, right. Because I'm here for you. I'm sometimes people don't want to say, like, I need help or I need to talk to mm-hmm. you if when they need that the most, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to, like, reach out for help and they might be feeling really, you know, vulnerable in that moment. And so just be, be like, hey, like, I'm here to talk if you need mm-hmm. me. Just very, like, leave it out there. Like, I'm here if you need me mm-hmm. and... Just give me a call, whatever it is. I just want to make sure you're okay. Totally. I think if you do get a text from someone that's like, oh, like I was rejected, which, you know, I remember getting those texts. Just, you know, just reply the same way, which is like, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that. Like, this is not the end of the road. I'm here for you if you want to talk about it. It's not meant to be. They don't deserve you. (laughs) They don't deserve you. They made a mistake. You are too Um, good for them anyways. Yeah. So I think like it's just a matter of like being there for someone. Mm -hmm. And that's like true in so many situations in life. And I think especially. And I know I remember something I would lean on was totally making jokes. One of my friends like being like, but do you really want to go to school with like that person right. or like you know the boys there aren't city. cute like yeah. those parties are terrible and you the know subway it. Like, you really want to take the subway every day yeah but winter <laughs> are you actual kidding? season <laughs> so like making jokes of it and kind of sh- like just like on a breakup when you go yeah. every single negative thing about the other person so that yep. you kind of leave your feelings for them behind same thing with a college get over them what parts did you not like about the school and latch onto those? Yeah. Any last minute tips for someone applying? I have one which we didn't mention during the test section, which is if your score is within the range of the school, stop taking yeah, the damn test. Yeah, stop taking it. Okay, can I say I made that mistake? I got a score and then I was like, I just want 30 points more. Don't no. be greedy. Don't be no. greedy. You don't need the it 30 points, Maya. It won't make a difference. And you know what? It didn't. I took it again and it didn't. I was still in the range and in the same spot. And even from the school, if you're already in the bucket, nothing is going to be different. Right, right. That's all I need. Don't stress yourself out over it. You can spend more valuable time on your essay, improving it, having a great narrative. So 
forget it. Yeah, that's actually the second tip I would give, which is like really invest time with your essay because mm -hmm. that is the place where you get to be yourself. You get to be funny. You get to be quirky. And talk you get it to like, out. Yeah, yeah. Get your, get your ideas out there. Kind of work through them with someone that knows you well. Right. And one piece of advice that I gave last week, I was like, in some cases, having everyone and their mother read your essay could be helpful because you want to make sure that your narrative comes across clear mm. and that it's not interpreted in the wrong way. And also sometimes you lose your voice. You right. lose your... That's what I was going to say. You got to be careful. Like you want it to be you. You don't want it to be like, you know, your dad's edit have taken over and now yeah. it's his essay. Or but... your English teacher from school is oh, like, God. well, <laughs> and then yeah. suddenly she's, she's writing to your school. Right. So remember to like be true to yourself mm -hmm. and like get help when you need it and, and make sure you feel good about your essay before you submit it. I mean... That's just, I think it, it goes without saying, but that's a good place to start. And then when it comes to decisions, like just be there for people and, yeah. you know, take care of yourself and be prepared for any outcome because mm -hmm. really, you know, there's no way to know and totally. just take the time to, you know, be ready for it and, and have ways to relax and de-stress. Totally. Well, I think that's pretty well-rounded, amazing advice. We touched on so many things and I think this is a great resource for anyone who's going through the process or mm -hmm. looking to support someone going through the process. So thank you for coming on the podcast Thanks again. Thanks for having me in your garage. Of course. I'm sure you'll be back again. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, hopefully with masks off, but I know. we'll just have to see. I, just a little bit difficult to breathe here. Yeah, truly. Like there's a furnace on my face. Yeah. <laughs> like pro mask, of course, but like talking this much, yeah. wearing a mask, it's like wasn't expecting it. Anywho. That kind of wraps this up. So I will see you guys next week for part three of this college series.